Welcome to the Monday Morning Phone Call Podcast. Every preacher knows when they're teetering on the edge of a topic that will result in receiving a phone call on Monday morning. Instead of backing away, this podcast exists to work through these polarizing ideas and spark conversation. In each episode, we'll be covering a different topic that hopefully we'll be able to address with more nuance and depth than we might be able to in a weekend service. We'd love for this platform to be the start of the conversation, and hopefully it sparks more in-depth dialogue with your friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors. Hi, we're the hosts of this show. I'm Paul Joslin. And I'm Melissa Frisbee. This season of the Monday Morning Phone Call Podcast, we're exploring the effects of having too much of a good thing. Here in the U.S., we live in a culture that pulls our attention by encouraging us to be independent, strive for personal success, achieve happiness, all while maintaining our comfort through the path of least resistance. Is this the life we're called to seek? Today, we're exploring the reasons why we might be motivated to live a life focused on ourselves and why God calls us to something bigger. How do we recognize when we might be holding on too tightly to a cultural expectation and allow the freedom that Jesus has to offer to let go of our American idols? Let's dive in. So in this season, we are focusing on American idols. And now, Mm -hmm. Alyssa, I know that you are well-versed in American idol pop culture. So who is your favorite American idol that ever won the television show? (laughs) I don't know if I am well-versed in American idol winners, but I would say that like 2000s pop culture is my sweet spot. that's probably a better way to phrase it. Yeah, what I so I, to I say. feel like you shouldn't yeah. narrow it down to just American Idol. Um, it's broadly early aughts yeah, pop culture. There you go. Okay, <laughs> perfect. That's how I grew up with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like Kelly Clarkson, right? Kind of like classic. tried and true. Yeah. You know, the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's obviously still doing really well. Yeah. So that's exciting. Um, and I do love Carrie Underwood. Yeah, she's kind of the one who's had the like the longest name. I mean, she's on Monday Night Football now. That's a That's big right. or Sunday night football. Sunday night football. Yeah. You would big know deal. I wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> about sports. Fair enough. And obviously we're not actually talking about American Idol from early two thousands. But this season mm-hmm. we do want to focus on some of the ways that we as Americans have certain idols that we kind of culturally worship, um, struggle with, that we see kind of pervasive throughout our culture. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of what the conversation is gonna be about this uh season. But Thinking through that, Alyssa, when we think of idolatry, what comes to mind? Um, well, I would say my first experience with idolatry um, was young Alyssa. Okay. Circa 1995. Okay. So before the early aughts. Exactly. Yeah. Before the early uh-huh. aughts. Um, when I was five. You can do the math <laughs> on that. Um, and I was in kindergarten and I really wanted to go to a friend's house that my mom like my parents didn't know her parents. And so my mom was kind of like hemming and hawing. And I was like, mom, I will look. And if there's any golden calves, I won't go back. <laughs> and that was the thing. You, so you're staying over at a friend's house. Mm-hmm. The thing you're worried about and think your mom is probably worried about is whether or not there are idols that they worship yes, in, the in their house. Yeah. And I would be on the lookout, <laughs> peeking through these people's things right. to make sure. Yeah, Not if like they were going to watch a movie you weren't allowed to yeah. or, yeah, mm-hmm. but idol. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Did you find any? Um, not that I remember. So okay. I don't think they had like cute salt and pepper shakers I was or say, anything. It'd be hilarious if there was like just a golden calf like on their mantle. <laughs> it was like for decoration. Like there it is. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's kind of I think one of the ways that this conversation gets kind of tricky is we yeah. have this image in our mind of how uh, idolatry works, and so mm-hmm. kind of every sermon you've probably ever heard on idolatry is about how in the Old Testament or in New Testament times people worshipped like statues mm-hmm. or deities. And that's not really how idolatry works for most mm-hmm. of American culture. It's more things, ideas. It's a little more abstract and kind of hard to to identify and kind of land on what actually makes an idol an idol. Because it's not like walking into someone's house and seeing a golden calf that they have a shrine to. Because that's not how, how idols work. Right. Um, so I think one of the things that we wanted to kind of do to maybe start the season was try to identify and name what idolatry is from a theological perspective, Mm -hmm. kind of walk through some of that and then 
talk about specific ones throughout the season. So uh, when we talk about idolatry being be pretty abstract, the kind of question we have to start with, I think, is how do we know what's an idol? Um, do you have any thoughts on, and I guess we should probably, maybe we should take this moment to <laughs> let people know that for this season, it's pretty much just going to be you and me kind of having yeah. conversations. The, the previous seasons, we've had a lot of amazing guests that have come on and mm-hmm. talked and shared about their expertise. And uh, we decided we're the experts on our, No, I'm just Watch kidding. Watch out. <laughs> yeah, there's no one else sitting in the room with us yes. if you're waiting for someone right. thoughtful Who's to come on. Up? You can turn it off now. It's yes. just the two of us <laughs> here. But we did do a lot of Googling. Yeah. Um, or at least I, I Googled. Yeah. I think you pulled from seminary materials or something. There was a lot of different places. But yeah, I think we've really, truly, we think this is a conversation that it would be kind of fun to have together. Maybe bring yeah. a little bit of like levity mm-hmm. to some of these things that can be pretty pervasive and, and actually fairly dangerous for people, but in ways that we don't always recognize or see. Um, yeah. But I know for this first one we're going to be talking about, we probably do have a lot of experience with this and we'll get into to some of that later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so when you think of... of idols, how do you know what is an idol in our culture? That's a great question. I think when I think about idolatry in our culture, I think about things that we would put before God, right? That that seem more important to us, whether that um, is um, a statue, which obviously isn't a thing, um, but whether that is money or career um, or families or control or whatever that Mm -hmm. is, if it becomes more important to you than God, then that is an idol. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that kind of ties in well. Timothy Keller has a great definition for idolatry, and he's actually done a lot of work on idolatry. So we'll maybe have some some notes for people Mm -hmm. um, in the podcast that they can go to. But he says, to whom or to what do I turn to when I need help and hope? rescue and deliverance. And so it's kind of Mm -hmm. the things that we put um, expectations on, hoping that they'll bring some sort of hope or rescue or deliverance, um, that they'll provide the help we need. But the key with them is that they actually can't provide what we're looking for. Um, And so we we place these expectations on these things, hoping they'll provide us with something that really is a position reserved for God. And so Mm -hmm. it's a little bit less of the things we worship, but the things we rely on for, um, yeah, survival really mm-hmm. <laughs> so. absolutely one it makes me think of um i guess principle from martin luther that he kind of said that every other 10 commandment goes back to right. the first one that god is not the most important to you that you are stealing because something else is more important exactly. or you're lying or you're committing adultery that all of those things actually come down to the fact that god is not the most yep. important Morton thing. Yeah, totally. You're willing to set aside God's principles, God's values, God's way of living in the mm-hmm. world for your own agenda, your own experience. And we talk a lot about that at, at Waterstone of really life with Jesus's submission and allegiance to yeah. his way, his will, his kingdom. And so it's when we start placing other things above God's will, God's ways, um, that's a key indicator of, of what I, idolatry is. I think the other really important thing to say about idolatry is that um, a lot of times it's not rooted in things that are inherently evil, yeah. right? So like we could use the example of money and needing money is not evil. It's yeah. normal. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, But it's what place, what value is that the place you're looking for your hope, your deliverance, your survival in this world instead of to God. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's where a lot of these things that we'll be talking about, they're good things, they're normal things, they're kind of probably even neutral desires yeah. in a lot of cases, uh, and yet we come to depend on them in the place of, of our dependence on God. And so that's kind of the, the check. Um, I think the challenge with that is that oftentimes because they are so abstract, it's kind of hard to see what the danger like actually yeah. is, you know? So like, um, I think Sharon Hode Miller, she has a great definition for our idolatry that says idolatry always leads to death, follow the death and it will lead you to an idol. That's why it's the first commandment. So similar to your point about Martin Luther, all of the commandments go back to this commandment of who are we actually worshiping mm-hmm. and giving our allegiance to. I think what we recognize idols is that because they can't live up to the expectations we put on them, then it leads to a place where it actually, um, the fruit of that idolatry is actually death. So worship of God always produces a more abundant, joyful um, life. Not to say life's not hard, but it produces that 
that kind of abundant life that Jesus promises us. Idolatry often leads to the other place um, of, of the, those things not producing the abundant life that you are looking for. Um, and so I think that's kind of a, hopefully a helpful framework for, for everyone as we talk through like why, why are we talking about idolatry? Because it's actually, uh, even though it's abstract and hard to identify, um, a lot of the things that are in our life that aren't producing the life we want yeah. come back to what we're worshiping, what we're giving our allegiance to, what we're looking to to fulfill us and deliver us and provide the rescue and hope and help that we that we need. Um, and actually, I was um, just chatting with a friend before we even decided that this was going to be um, our episode, and she was talking to me about she was like a career Olympic swimmer. Wow. Um, until, right. <laughs> yeah. She's probably my coolest friend. No, no offense. Aside Paul. from me, but yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Continue. <laughs> um, that she was a, a career swimmer and just decided to quit swimming, um, in huh. June, like this year, um, to pursue something else. Huh. And in her words, she was talking a lot about the barren fig parable. Huh. Um, so you talk, like, it makes me think a lot about what you're talking about with, um, and not producing fruit that she felt like, even though she was an amazing swimmer, um, and could go on to get Olympic medals. Like obviously that was what she was doing all the time that she wasn't getting the fruit in her life, like able to serve and really be connected in the community the way that she felt like she should. And so even though that it was this God given talent for her and she's amazing at it, that it's not what is best, right? That it was Mm. good, but it's not what's best for Mm. her. And so is completely changing her life in order to pers- like pursue getting God's fruit, which is wow. amazing yeah. and admirable. and um, Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. that's a, a really good example because I think it gets to the heart of things that we pursue aren't necessarily yeah. a bad thing, but there often comes a point, a decision moment, where we have to say, nope, I'm going to pursue what God has for me and maybe even be willing to give up this dream or this thing that I think will satisfy. For, I mean, I have a similar story about the the NBA and yeah, wanted to be a profe- yeah, professional basketball player. And it just got to the point where I was like, God, if, uh, I'm just kidding. I, I <laughs> you actually go. got no offers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shaq did not personally no, invite you. he didn't. And it turns out if you can't even like finish your senior year of high school basketball, you're probably not going to make the NBA. So that's okay. That's great. Yeah. Never, never say never, <laughs> you right. know, but, yeah. but either way you pursued that's it. what was best. Yes, exactly. So I was willing to give that dream up for, mm-hmm. um, but I do think aside from that <laughs> weird tangent, I do think that as you talk about idolatry, that's often where uh, the tension is, is yeah. this thing that uh, would be a good thing for me, something I want, something I'm longing for, something I'm pursuing, and the willingness to, to, to set that aside for God's will if necessary. And so often where we see the tension of idolatry is we love this thing or this idea or this mm-hmm. um, dream so much that we're, we're not really willing to set it aside for, for God's will. Um, and that's kind of what leads us into this first uh, idol that I think we're going to be, be talking about, which is the idol of control. Yeah. Um, and so uh, maybe working definition, because uh, people might listening might think, what, control? How is that an yeah. actual idol? Um, maybe a working definition for idol of control is, is a longing to have everything go according, uh, to our plan or my plan. And so I want, uh, my dreams, my life, my family, my career to, to go according to my plan. Um, and so I have to maintain some sort of control mm-hmm. over my life to make sure that happens. Um, and we think that that is kind of an idol that is pretty pervasive yeah. in um, America. So kind of initial reaction to that maybe working definition, something you'd add to it, something you might take away. Yeah. I mean, I think that initially it feels uncomfortable, right? The, the idea that control is more important to me than God. Yeah. Um, but I think after processing it that I've seen that in my own life, mm. right? That it, I need I need these things that in the end turns out don't actually matter mm-hmm. um, to go well. I want, like, I need to make sure that my kids get to the certain place on time and that this meal is made and that my house looks okay. And in the reality, like in reality, those things don't matter compared to what's actually important, which, yeah. is, which is God. So yeah. Yeah. And I would say at least in my research that it kind of, um, according to science, <laughs> you can quote me on that. Boom. Science. <laughs> Boom. Science. Um, <laughs> Bill Nye, probably, yeah. um, that p- 
people biologically need control that they're mm-hmm. seeing that even I mean obviously we'll see it in toddlers which we will definitely yeah. talk about because both of us have tiny babies and uh-huh. have real examples of these things <laughs> sure. um but even in animals like they see that animals even want control um and so you it comes out for people either in power which is control over other people or choice over your own circumstances or outcomes. And so people need to feel like they have one of those two things uh, to function well. Mm. Um, And if they don't have one, that they will act out and seek it out um, in some pretty maladaptive ways. Yeah, sure. I think that's a really helpful place to start because what you're kind of saying is that inherently this desire for control is, is it's kind of neutral, right? Like it's a very normal, it's a biological reality that people in order to function well in society and in families and in their own life need to have some semblance of control. None of us want to live in chaos. And I think that's actually even backed up biblically is what you see in like the creation narrative is this mass of chaos that God brings order to. And then as scriptures progress, there's like continual ordering of, of people and families and societies. And God brings this structure out of the chaos. And so Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's a very normal desire and something that, that all of us long for. Uh, the problem is how we sometimes go about it. Um, and so when you just, what you were saying about, uh, power, like, or choice, can you just explain a little bit more like, um, Maybe bring that down for us of what, like power over circumstances or power over other people versus choices. How do those two play out or what does maybe some of that look like day to day? Totally. Um, so I guess I will bring up my toddler as an yeah. example because I think that he um, shows this to me a little too often, <laughs> right? That I, that I think so often, um, turns out toddlers are little people. Right. Um, if you, spoiler, they're <laughs> tiny little people. Who can um, get away with things that we could never get away with as adults. Right? But they're so cute and they just smile at you and you just forgive them and you just move on or you clean up their poop because you have to. Um, but so my son will often, he really, really wants something, right? He wants that choice that he's, I want to eat ice cream for Mm. breakfast. This is a real scenario that happens in our life. And he calls it a snack. So like it's, see, he's not asking for ice cream Uh for breakfast. He's just asking for a snack. I want a snack. I want ice cream as a snack. There's a logic there. Exactly. At seven, like at (laughs) seven o'clock in the morning. Like Uh I just want ice cream snack. Um, And I say, no, like, no, you cannot choose this. That he then will try to exert his power over me. Right. So then that's when he throws a tantrum or tries to. Yeah, get me in his control, like under his yeah. control, mm-hmm. right? And so he will, because he wants to feel like he is one of those two yeah. things, right? That he got to pick a choice or that he has power over me. Yeah. So how I trick him, <laughs> parenting tip, um, ding, is that you give him two choices that you feel right. both good about. Yep. Sorry, there's no ice cream this morning, but you can have strawberry yogurt yeah. or really yummy oatmeal. There's probably dinosaur eggs in it. Right. And so then he feels like he gets a choice, Mm -hmm. even though I just tricked him into it. And turns (laughs) out as adults, even if those aren't valid choices, we, if we're tricked into a choice, then somehow we feel, we feel good about it. Yeah, totally. And I think there's this element of this where we, so we're longing either for, for power over other people or circumstances Mm -hmm. or the choice to choose. And you see that play out all the time for adults. So it's a great example of, of toddlers, but we see people, um, needing that semblance of control. And so even like people can feel stuck in careers because they don't have a, feel like they have choice or power Mm -hmm. over the work environment. Um, or maybe it's that they feel like their housing situation isn't what they want, but Mm -hmm. they don't have an option to get out of it. Um, or they don't have like the power to change those circumstances. So you Mm -hmm. can see that play out in, in a lot of different ways, which is often, where this desire from control starts, um, and you can see it pop up. I think that this idol, it often manifests itself in moments of uncertainty or chaos, yeah. right? So, um, back to some of those examples, a new job, you, you mm-hmm. have no control, no, it's a new environment, it's new people. And you're trying to figure all of that out. There can be, be a desire for choice and control, or you might experience that in situations like a divorce or a new marriage or a new kid, any kind of shift mm-hmm. in lifestyle can bring out all sorts of new spaces of uncertainty, chaos, um, where you're just trying to maintain some semblance of, of control. Mm-hmm. And 
it's how you go about maintaining that, that that can kind of reveal the idol or not, I think. So, um, for instance, one of the things that, that you were talking about um, was that when you have that loss of control, it can often like turn into maladaptive behaviors yeah. and, and kind of extreme examples. Um, so one is like it can produce, like some of the symptoms, I guess, is maybe how we could talk about yeah. it, of this idol is like anxiety, mood disorders, eating disorders, substance abuse. That's kind of where you can get back to that idea of the idol leads to to death in certain yeah. ways, right? Is so um, let's say starting a new job and we're really trying to like bring this down the abstraction ladder. So mm -hmm. th hopefully this makes sense, but start a new job, have no control, trying to maintain control, can't control your new working environment. So it comes out in sideways where you're trying to deal with the anxiety of the new situation. And it leads to some sort of like substance that you use mm -hmm. to control that anxiety. And then you can see the fruit of that where you're actually not living the life that God intended or hoped for was, was, um, has called you to, cause you're using yeah. these other things to try to, to maintain some semblance of control. Um, I think one of the places that, that this can be most difficult is, uh, in our connections and relationships. And so, um, like I just think of, of whether that's marriage or dating or roommate or siblings, none of us have control over yeah. how other people interact with the world, right? Yeah. It would be so awesome if I could control my two-year-old or right. <laughs> my parents or whatever it might be. But it turns out I can't because they're yeah. all interacting with the world themselves. And so I think that's one of the areas where we see um, fractures in uh, society and families and marriages and with kids is that people respond to these chaoses and these uncertainties differently. We can't control those environments. And so it kind of causes this tension in relationships. And yeah. you can see a lot of, yeah, of, of breaking, fracturing, hurting um, in relationships where we wish we could control how the other person was responding. That's fair. <laughs> I, it makes me think of when my husband and I were dating and probably still now, um, we were like in a public place. Like we are in the aisle at Target and he like, can't, he farts and then we just stay in the aisle. <laughs> and I'm like, we are still here. We are still getting paper towels. There are people around yeah, us. Sure. And you, and, and I wish I could control that. Yeah. Um, because turns out, what if they think it was That's me? That's right. I mean, and like, or, yeah, there's he looks like a guy that would fart in public. So like that feels important in, in the cutest way. Sure. But he's still like... Yeah. yeah, we have like had he fights lean, about that. He leans into the awkward and weird. Yes. And you can't, you, you're not someone who enjoys the awkward or no. weird and would love to avoid those situations. Mm -hmm. You can't control that. And so, yeah, turns out that's a source of like tension. And not to mm -hmm. say that that scenario is necessarily idolatry, but, <laughs> <laughs> but right. <laughs> so I, I think one of the, the areas I see that comes up for myself is um, so when my life feels chaotic, which yeah. turns out, toddler, pastor, wife in PhD program, feels like happens fairly often. Um, and the one way I try to maintain control of my life is having a clean house. Yeah. I don't like clutter, don't like mess. And so I just feel like this need after like a tough day at work or a tough day, like wherever to go home, make sure the house is clean. But I just yeah. get in like this go mode of trying to maintain some sort of control over my environment. I end up like oftentimes like hurting my wife or my daughter yeah. because I'm like, why the heck did you leave toys in front of the staircase? Like, can we please Steffi, not leave? clean up your toys. <laughs> clean up your toys that are in front of this staircase that I step on every morning, mm -hmm. right? But I can like see in those moments if I get a, a little bit of clarity, this desire for control and actually how it's like hurt the people around me because yeah. I'm so intent on that that I'm willing to like set aside their value, their worth, their feelings mm -hmm. to try to get that type of control. Um, and I think that's probably something a lot of us can relate to. Maybe it's not a clean house, but right. this need for, we look in other places for control when life feels out of control because that feeling is just, it's not, not helpful. It's not good. Right? It's, it's hard. Yeah. Well, and I think so often, you know, we kind of talked about the extremes that, you know, research has shown, like the anxiety yeah. disorders and eating disorders and substance abuse. And obviously those are really far, but I think so often, most of us are doing these kind of little things that are actually pretty hurtful to our yeah, relationships and yep. hurtful to ourselves that we can't, um, 
that they're not actually like productive yeah. behaviors. And mm-hmm. we're spending so much energy putting into those other things as opposed to um, acknowledging the, con- you know, that yeah. you feel like you need to control and acknowledging the chaos that mm-hmm. you feel and then moving forward from there. Yeah. Um, that I, I look back at my life and I think like, wow, how much, how much more productive could I have been if I yeah. leaned into this other or at least acknowledge this other feeling yeah, that I have. Yeah, totally. And I think that's why control is such a sneaky mm-hmm. idol and, and a sneaky... And I, I think it's important to say that idolatry is sin, um, yes, right? Just yeah. like inherently worshiping or placing things the, in the place that only God is supposed to, to take in our lives is sin. Um, and that's why this one is such a sneaky um, sin or sneaky idol because it's shaped out of a good and, and neutral desire yeah. to not live in chaos. And probably I would even say like a God-given desire, both scripturally yeah. and as you said from from some of the research, um, that's all good things. Um, but they become idols when our heart trusts in them, desires them, when we can't be at peace without them, um, when we think that, that some sort of control over like our house circumstances will save or, or make us feel better um, about life. And I think when I think of American culture, so that's yeah. kind of the individual level where we maybe experience that. We also see this in, in like groups. And I think that dynamic of um, power versus choice, we see that playing out yeah. in all sorts of communities of certain groups saying that they want to exert their power, their control, their influence over others. Or when they don't have that um, option, then th- they need choices of how to express themselves. And um, and not having certain choices, we kind of see that as in American cultures, like our freedoms, yeah. our rights. And mm-hmm. so it can, can actually be on this like uh, community-wide scale, this cultural-wide scale yeah. where this idol can actually have a lot of adverse effects in how we treat other people, um, how we relate to other people, how we work through some of these different like issues that are facing our, our country or our communities um, because we want control. And when we feel like we don't have that, turns out we don't know how to respond. And so we are mean to people or react poorly yeah. or, or resort to other means to try to, to gain some semblance of control. Well, I think that's what becomes so difficult when you look at it on a national scale is that then so often people will use that American value of freedom, for example. And you can say, well, we're allowed to be free. Home Mm. of the free and the brave. Is that the phrase? (laughs) Yeah, that's it. What's on probably a monument somewhere? (laughs) Um, But but people go back to that. And it's like, well, how do you you argue with that, right? Right. Like in politics, like how can you say, well, like, no, we shouldn't be free. Yeah. Right? And and so what is that... um, what do you do with that on a political scale when if you look at it from a biblical lens, right. it's like, well, maybe, you know, you're using this quote unquote freedom, mm-hmm. which is actually you just wanting to control and have choices. Right. And that's not maybe what is best or what God ha- like yeah. has for you. Um, and so I think that it it's really tricky when that idol is so woven into mm-hmm. our national context. Yeah, because I, I think the, the trick in like a, community in a country like ours is, is we do have freedom of choice. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of options, but then the trick becomes is what happens when two groups disagree yeah. on what is right, what is good, what is best for the, the common good. Um, when we don't agree on that choice, that's where we resort to power control to try to mm-hmm. force the other people to, to agree with us. And that can affect all sorts of different topics um, and, and things that the church is engaged in. And mm-hmm. I think one of the tricks is that the outcomes never seem to really get us what we want. Yeah. So control in our personal life, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, or control is like community against community never actually produces the results we want. We can force people into behaving or acting the way that we think will produce the least amount of chaos um, but really then you just see disruption and frustration and resentment and people arguing with one another and it, it doesn't actually produce the harmony that we're looking for. And so yeah. I think the challenge is for Christians is how do we maintain um, our values, our convictions um, in a space where people disagree on yeah. what is it and, and do we resort to the idol of control in order to try mm. to influence people outside of our community of faith to, to agree with us? And what does that power dynamic look like? How does that align up with our faith? And that's, mm. I mean, 
so much of the like ethics of the church come back to this question of what do we control, what don't we, and how do we try to convince people of the way of Jesus without resorting to power over them or removal of their choices. And I think that's a tension that is really hard to navigate. Um, And especially over even the last 18 months, if you look at everything from COVID to racial reconciliation to some of the abortion laws is Christians are trying to navigate. How do we hold on to these cultural convictions of what scripture says without um, just forcing people to, to agree with us and, without, you know, yeah, that's just really tricky, I think. Mm-hmm. What I feel like it sure. feels so clear when you look backwards. Totally. That the church didn't make wise choices, right? That like the crusades, maybe yeah, we shouldn't have like moment. killed people and use violence to like force them to love Jesus. And right. that they like had to have certain haircuts. Like somehow that was like the same, <laughs> yeah. right? That like, but again, it's, so I think that's what's so hard is it's so clear to look back and say like, what were you doing, Pope? something (laughs) like that wasn't great. Um, but then looking now and, and making those, it it feels so much more nuanced, right? Right. It feels so much more gray now, but it's, but it's also like, these are the things that we actually can change and be more intentional about. And so how do we, um, finagle that well that in the end that we can feel proud of the choices that we made. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And I think that's that's always been the tension of the church, even going back to the very early church um, after Jesus has ascended, is they're trying to figure out, okay, we have these core convictions, these core values. Um, how do we like proclaim those to people um, in a way that they'll accept and really live under God's best mm-hmm. um, will for their life without forcing? And any time the church steps into a place of imposition or a kind of power, and control, it seems to go poorly and not reflect the heart of Jesus. And so mm-hmm. um, I think it's the the easy one to go to, yeah. right? Because control works in the sense that it brings us the the, the peace and the lack of chaos that we want, yeah. um, but it doesn't actually produce the lack of chaos on like a, a community scale. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think as we're, we're kind of talking through some of this, uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about for each of the different idols that we'll be working through is, is what are maybe some solutions? And I think solutions are maybe uh, kind of trite and I yeah. don't know if they're super helpful word. Um, but, but how do we kind of combat some of these idols or what do we do to, um, some of the language that Keller and others have used is how do we uproot those idols mm-hmm. from our lives? Cause they're idols can kind of really attach themselves to our hearts and to our minds. And, um, and we've got to try to, to uproot them like a plant that needs to be, um, taken away so that the garden can can flourish. Um, so as we think through how to deal with the idol of control, it's not like we can just burn it like a golden calf <laughs> and be like, yep, <laughs> solve that. Exactly. Got it done. done. Yeah. yeah. So what are, what are some things that come to mind for you in ways that we could, yeah, what are some solutions, ways we can uproot the idol of control in our lives? Yeah. Great question. Um, at least in my mind, I think, what is tricky is because it's so different for so many different people. And so in my mind, I think we almost have to give people prompts. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's what we did. (laughs) Spoiler. You will see those (laughs) questions to ask Mm -hmm. ourselves about what, what's actually going on. And, um, and obviously there being some biblical examples to like, to support those things, but just to kind of talk through, because again, you can't just not have, control in your life, right? right? Because you can't live in that chaos. You can't swing the other way. Yeah. You know, like turns out you have to eat. You can't just never eat, right? Like these are, <laughs> you know, so you, yeah. and you don't want to control. And you can't just give your toddler ice cream for breakfast exactly. every morning. He wishes, <laughs> but we love his teeth. He's beautiful teeth. We want to keep them. Um, so this feels important. So yeah, I think that at least what's helpful to me is kind of talk through some different prompts um, and questions to kind of hopefully help everyone get to the core root of what, where the need for control is coming from. Yeah, totally. And I think that that's a really helpful frame because it, it's a such a nuanced conversation and we've kind of given some examples of how we experience yeah. the need for control and where it can kind of show up as an, an idol in our lives. But I'm sure if we talk to any number of people, it would express itself in kind of a different or more nuanced way. Yeah. Um, not to mention then how we address it as a, a community. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think one of the the questions 
when you think of the idol of control, a really helpful place to start, and this is actually, I think, probably going to continue throughout a lot of the different idols, is it's, idolatry is often a question around God's goodness. Mm-hmm. And what is preventing us from trusting in God's goodness? Um, so the, how that, I think, plays out with the idol of control is that... Um, if we're not sure if God is good or not, if we don't trust, maybe we even believe that God is in control of all things. Um, but if he's not good, then that means I need to have control over my life because I can't trust yeah. that that God will do what's best for me. Um, is really like kind of at the heart and root of this conversation, I think. And so, um, yeah, so what is preventing us from trusting in God's goodness? I think that again, is a pretty nuanced conversation because yeah. sometimes we have experiences in our life where it's hard to point to God's goodness or, yeah. or the way that he has um, maybe been in control and we've maybe trusted that and then an outcome wasn't what we were hoping for. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I think for us, it's got to start with that idea of, of do we trust God um, no matter our circumstances, and can we trust that he is in control so that he's sovereign over all things um, and that his plan is good mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, and and our best um, for life. So any thoughts to that or, or kind of, yeah, challenges to that or how would you... How do you feel about God's goodness? <laughs> I am I am for it. Okay. Cool. I am pro yeah, God's great. goodness. Um, but no, it makes me think of um, this Jackie Hill Perry quote. If God is holy, then he can't sin. If God can't sin, then he can't sin against you. If he can't sin against you, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? Mm-hmm. And I think that that really, at least to me, puts so many things into perspective yeah. that someone getting cancer isn't, that wasn't God trying to sin against you or God trying to hurt you, that that he is not a malicious being. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I feel like we keep using the word nuance, but obviously, again, like there are really tricky, does that feel like a better word? There are tricky (laughs) things going on that, you know, someone getting cancer, obviously, you know, the whole book of Job is a little tricky, right? That like, there's obviously this spiritual warfare piece and God is letting things happen and but regardless, like God is still good and he mm-hmm. can't sin against you. He's not yeah. a puppeteer that is like trying to put you in terrible situations right. and like laughing at you when you fall on your yeah. face. Um, and I, and when you ask that question, why don't you trust God's goodness? I think that often there does feel like there's a disconnect. Like I know in my own life that if I feel like I have to control, I f- I don't realize that the reason why I'm controlling is because I don't trust God's goodness and kind of then being able to walk through that bigger question helps me certainly process kind of separate why am I needing to control and also what is what's God's goodness. Yeah. And I I think ultimately this works in a relationship with God, but it also works in a relationship with it. It's easier for me to trust myself than it is to trust another person. Um, and so I can keep coming back. I mean, that's really like what control comes down to is I can do it better myself or I can make sure my plan goes the way I want it to if I'm the one in charge. And the disconnect sometimes in our relationship with God is that his plan isn't our plan or his ways are not our ways. Mm-hmm. And I, Rachel Held Evans once said that um, God's ways are not our ways, uh, not because he's less compassionate than we are, but because he's more compassionate than we could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have so much trouble trusting that and believing yeah. that, that God loves me, that, that he does have a plan for my life, that um, even in the midst of bad circumstances, God is still good. And so there's just that tension that I think all of us have to work through in different situations um, so that we can kind of release that, that idol of, of control and, and not depend on ourselves to, to kind of get the lack of chaos and certainty that we want. Well, it makes me even think of the story of the golden calf, right? Like yeah, they, oh, the Israelites 100%. were full, were in God's presence in a way yep. that we can only yeah. dream of, right? Uh-huh. That they like saw this pillar of fire yeah. and saw the, the ocean, like right. the Red Sea, like split apart. Yep. And then all of a sudden Moses leaves to go 
talk to God and they're like, well, it's, he's not good. We got <laughs> totally. it right. That it's like, they, yeah. and, and I we need something else. That's exactly. Yeah. Right. And so I think we, we look back on that story and we think like, that's so embarrassing. Like <laughs> right. you guys are so dumb, but in reality we do the same thing. Totally. And, yeah. um, that that really is more applicable to our lives than we even realize. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that that's good. So, so kind of maybe the first question, if you're resonating with this idea of, of control and how we deal with it and, um, why, why don't we trust God and using that question to kind of reflect, um, of those areas in our, our life where we're seeking control as, as an idol. The second question, and this is maybe a little bit more of a practical one, but I think it's an important one equally so is that does control actually work for you? Does it produce, um, the life that you want? And so, uh, back to, to, my example of needing to clean the house to get control, I might have control over that situation. So it maybe works on a micro level, but it hasn't actually changed the circumstances in my life at all. Mm-hmm. In fact, the more I fight for control over the circumstances of my life, the more um, disastrous the, the results often are. Um, I think that um, it can work for a time, but it often leads to that place of like, okay, yeah, my house is clean now. And I feel like Maybe life is a little less chaotic, but my wife is like afraid of me or my daughter's yeah. like, what's wrong with you, dad? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that's not actually the the existence that I, I want. Um, and so I think it goes back to that question of, of uh, that Keller asks is to whom or what do I turn when I need help, hope, rescue or deliverance? Does the idol of control actually produce the deliverance that you're that you're looking for? Does it actually produce the hope uh, that you need? Um, I think a biblical example yeah. of that is Abraham, mm-hmm. right? And God has promised him uh, this plan for his life that he's going to have a son that will have a family that will be as multiple as the stars and, and has given him all these promises of a land and places. And Moses is like, okay, well, it's not on my timetable. So I'm going to sleep with my slave mm-hmm. and have another son. And then he takes matters into his own hands, takes control of the situation because yeah. it's not going according to his plan, doesn't trust God's goodness. And he gets a son, yeah. but it's not, all of the results from that story is so much strife and war and violence mm-hmm. and, and brokenness and the slave that, that he um, sleeps with that gives him a son is abused and, and there's just all this heartbreak from the situation. So I think we have to be able to, to sometimes step back from our situations and say, is this actually yeah. working for me? Is, is taking matters in my own hand, getting control actually making my life better. <laughs> yeah. When I, I think with that story, not only did it kind of like you were talking about in the moment, like clearly Sarah was, even though she, it was partly her idea, yeah, right? right? She <laughs> then gets real mad, you know, and it, it <laughs> yep. is abusing Hagar and yeah. um, Hagar, right? Yeah, I said yeah, that yeah. right. I got, got real <laughs> got nervous. <it. laughs> uh, I don't have it written phonetically. Um, right. So even in the moment, it, it didn't solve the problem. Right. right? And then long-term, obviously there are all of these, um, this tension for thousands of years, you know? And so turns out like, we're not all that important that decisions we make are going to affect thousands of years. So we can, (laughs) don't worry. Um, but it just is, what does that look like to not lean into God's goodness Mm -hmm. that you are making a decision that won't even be great in the moment. And then has implications like down, down the road. Yeah, totally. And it, it's really hard because, in the moment, getting some semblance of control feels good. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, I did. I've kind of solved that that issue of chaos and uncertainty in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it often doesn't stay that way. It often produces more chaos, more uncertainty, more mm-hmm. destruction. Um, and so I think the trick for us is to go back to that question of God's goodness. Can we trust um, that that his plan is better than our plan, that mm-hmm. his works are better than ours, that his goals for our life are, are more s- sufficient than our own. And that I think takes a lot of work because yeah. we kind of live in a culture where you can pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You can make your best life. You can take care of yourself. Um, we're kind of taught to take control yeah. of our situations and our circumstances, um, which is really a, a story and a narrative that's antithetical to the one of scripture and what God is doing in the world. Um, and so I think that's where just at a cultural level, we're kind of at a dissonance um, from God's story that that makes us really complicated and hard to to live out. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I think then that connects to like the third question is yeah. what do we actually need, right? right? That it's I'm I'm seeing this chaos in my life. I'm trying to do these things to fix it, but what do I actually need in this moment? Yeah. Um, which does take some mental space to step back a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, as you're f- frantically cleaning your house or <laughs> right. like, you know, as your husband just farted in the aisle, you know, you're like, oh, like what, why am I feeling this yeah. way? Um, and it takes a little bit more thought, right? right. Um, it makes me think a lot about, um, and maybe this is really tangential, but like in American culture, the view of like masculinity, right? Mm. That it's like, instead of like going down to, let me tell you about your, your gender, Paul. <laughs> Please, yeah. <laughs> like, this feels <laughs> let weird. Me know. No, you're uh, great. <laughs> I, I think it's a really good point. Thank you. You have I haven't even made it yet, but I you're, think I know where you're going. so ready, <laughs> right? That like men aren't allowed to like think about those emotions and why they're maybe doing the things that they are, that it comes out in these like anger or other, yeah. or other ways. Totally. And I think that, um, there's another view of women in the culture that they're allowed to be manipulative, mm. that it's like, that's okay to be controlling, mm. that, you know, the husband's the head, but the wife's the neck. Yeah. Right. And I can <laughs> right. make him do whatever. And uh-huh. I just have to like be tricky. Yeah. Um, and turns out there are a lot of like biblical stories about that and sure. arm hair and stuff. And so I think that those views of gender and they're being, acceptability of control in our yeah, culture are really totally. um, woven in. Because I think at the core of, of all of that is is that chaos or uncertainty or lack of control is scary, yeah. right? Like that's kind of the core emotion there is there's a fear of what will happen if I'm not in control of mm-hmm. things and if I don't um, have everything together. And turns out like being scared or afraid is not like the coolest thing to admit or like name is an emotional <laughs> experience, fair. right? Like <laughs> no matter what Saved by the Bell yeah, told us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's like n- at no point have we as a culture said like, man, it's okay to, to feel afraid, yeah. <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. that's just not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to have courage and step over fear. And, and there's a place for that. But really like when it comes to this idea of, of trying to maintain control and, and using control as an idol, um, it, it's an admittance and an acknowledgement that being out of control is scary or, yeah. or and maybe there's other subtle emotions that, that go beyond fear. Um, but we have to name some of those things that are going on underneath the surface, um, because then we can begin to, to uproot the actual problem and we can say, okay, so why is it scary yeah. to be out of control? And then how can I take that to God? How do I bring that to God and trust him and his goodness and trust that he has all things in control, which is mm-hmm. really, I, I think, then the last question that's helpful when you're feeling this idol of control kind of taking over is, is where is God in this? Yeah. And I think there's a lot of stories in scripture about how God is in, at work in the midst of chaos. That's really the story of redemption yeah. throughout scripture from beginning to end is started in chaos. God was at work bringing order out of the chaos. We kind of screw it up, make it chaotic and there's a downward spiral and he's like slowly bringing about this story of redemption. And, um, sometimes we need that long view of scripture and God's story um, Mm -hmm. to ground us that even in the midst of our chaos, even in the midst of our circumstances that feel uncertain and scary, that that God is at work because he is good and he's a God of redemption and doesn't allow us to just stay in chaos forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been reading Ecclesiastes. Um, Weird flex, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I mean, I... In this weird way, if if you, y'all aren't familiar, that essentially the author talks about everything is meaningless, and I think it's thirty eight right. times that yeah, he that's a lot. like, and they just keep he was going back. Very to depressed it. when he wrote that right. book. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and they they say whoever yeah. is they the Bible Project talks about the fact that meaningless doesn't actually mean it doesn't have meaning, but it's vapor, right? Like right. it's so fleeting, and so I think and in this very strange way reading this book of the Bible that is kind of depressing has been really freeing for me is that it's like, man, like this is vapor. Like this isn't, turns out this weird thing that I'm really, really worried about this thing that I'm so anxious of, um, Kyle's fart is fleeting in the aisle. I don't know why this keeps coming back, but (laughs) we can cut that. But I just like, I, but really that it it doesn't actually in the grand scheme of things, the kingdom of God matter. And so 
We I can spend that, so much time mm-hmm. worrying about our circumstances or different things. And legitimately, some of our circumstances are frightening, are scary, yes, are absolutely. difficult. Um, a lot of times, though, we can spend much of our energy feeling very anxious about things that when we can look back on like a year later or, or longer, it's like, oh, why was I worried about that? Yeah. Like, what was that? So we can get so caught up in the moment. Um, and so I, I do think you're right. That that phrase from Ecclesiastes that's repeated is kind of a helpful reminder that, yeah. you know, you don't have to spend your whole life anxious and worried about um, these small things. And can we let some of them go and, mm-hmm. and trust God in the process. And it, it reminds me of the verse in Romans that talks about God working all things together for good. And that, oh, I have such a, we've talked about this before, I think on the podcast, but that verse is so misquoted because yeah. it often says that like people phrase it as that everything that happens to you is good, which is just categorically <laughs> false. Everything yeah. that happens in your life is not good. Yeah. But God, again, is a God of redemption that even in the midst of hard circumstances, he can bring beauty out of them. He can bring good out of the evil that happens to us, Um, which really is, I think, a helpful way to maybe even wrap up this idea of Mm -hmm. control in that when we take matters into our own hands, when we worship this idol of control, when we look to it for our significance and deliverance and hope and rescue, it often makes a mess of things. And yet, what we see in scripture again and again and again when all these people take matters into their own hands is that God is actually, that is the story of redemption. Yeah. That God works through Abraham and Sarah doing terrible things or through mm-hmm. David doing terrible things and is still bringing about goodness and redemption and, and ultimately our salvation. And so mm-hmm. um, he's, he's so good that even in the midst of our mess that we make, uh, he can bring redemption and hope and rescue mm-hmm. um even as we're worshiping something else which yeah. i just think is is like mind-blowing sometimes mm-hmm. when it comes to this conversation it's like why in the world right. <laughs> would you be that gracious and merciful and good um but i, I think it's an important thing for us to to remember mm-hmm. yeah it turns out the story of the golden calf is in the very beginning of the bible right. and it, God continued to use. It wasn't like, oh, guys, what are you doing? And then we end it, right? That that was just the beginning of his story um, of the covenant with Israel and with all of us. That um, he's continued that. And there are so many stories of of him redeeming. And I think all of us can think of stories where we've we've seen God's redemption in our life and us making silly mistakes and, um, and God using that for good. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that's probably a good place to to wrap up. So thanks for talking about the idol of control. Yeah, anytime. Thank you for listening to the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. We hope that this show will spark conversation and that you'll share this episode with a friend. Join us on Instagram at WaterstoneCC and Facebook at Waterstone Church to continue the conversation and share your thoughts and opinions with us. This podcast was hosted by me, Paul Joslin, and Alyssa Frisby. Today's show was edited and mixed by Luke McCready, produced by Emily Kloss, and the graphic was designed by Lane Gerkink. We'll be back in two weeks with our next episode of American Idols.